Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network, where we continue to chat with coaches, players, front office executives, media moguls in the world of sports today's somebody who has a tremendous amount of experience in the pacific northwest in the state of washington in particular he's been a head coach longer than anybody in the state outside of maybe coach mark few coach jim hayford at seattle U. coach how is life in seattle i i, I can only imagine knowing you that you're very excited that you can finally get a little bit of guidance on the season and really get on the floor with your team? Yeah, we're fortunate. We've been able to practice um, since maybe mid-July and uh, though in small groups of like five or six at a time and hopefully next week move into, uh, you know, five actual five on five basketball. But uh, with everything that's gone on and with the season being called off, you know, on the, the starting day of our conference tournament, just any time spent in the gym, with our players um, just really reminds you, you know, what you really love doing. And so we've had a really good time as a group here for two months and everyone stayed healthy and, and we're moving forward. And I hope that's the experience of, of all the colleges across the country. We have a number of high school coaches in the Northwest and across the country that listen to, to this podcast. And the thing that was interesting that you just said is you go from small groups to being able to, to go five on five practices. Now, from my experience in talking to head coaches, there is an absolute difference in breakdown of skill work and development versus building out of a team philosophy, but you want to kind of tie them together. I know that's a 30,000 30, foot kind of phrase but how do you differentiate the two? And then how do you bring those back together considering you guys haven't had a full normal practice since March? Uh, it, it, it's the question spot on because it, it's, it's made what, what it's done, at least for me. And I do love the new, this new platform that you guys have created in scorebook live because uh, you know, it's, it's just a one-stop shop for information for me, first and foremost, as a college coach. But also, if, if we're sharing information with other coaches, that's a great use of this. And, and then it's just a, a great place to know what's going on in high school basketball in a click. So it, it, I'm really glad to share. Um, with coaches, with me coaching, 
over time, what, what happens is you get comfortable with what you're comfortable with. You get comfortable with the things that have brought you success. Um, and, uh, and so when you get put in a different situation where, hey, you have to adjust, you only get to coach with this many guys on the court, you only get to do this. Well, now that takes you out of your comfort zone. It takes you to somewhere new, which in all honesty um, is actually a really, really good place. Uh, there are those things that are, that are unchangeable and that, you know, that you have success, but, but when you get taken out of that comfort zone, I think you find some good new ways of coaching. And uh, you know, in, in the case of a division one staff where you, you have, you know, four, or coaches on your staff and, and you're coaching five guys, um, you're talking about real detailed instruction and feedback that the guys are going to get. And, you know, and we video a lot of what we do instructionally and then send it back to the guys. And so I just feel like we've never been able um, to take so much time to really concentrate on the individual. I mean, it, we, we do individuals with our team even during the season. Uh, but not not to the detail where you know a lot of times it's one coach working with that one guy on something or as a head coach you say hey i want you to work with one of the assistants on this but just the demands of your schedule don't let you spend that much time like on footwork with with the with the big guy and then you know it's 20 minutes later and you're working on footwork with a guard and and then supporting it with video and so I really like that it, it took me out of kind of paying attention mainly to what's going on five on five and let me really look at the process, the details of how I'm teaching what I'm teaching. And, and maybe one of the differences between college and high school is by the time most guys get to me, they, they got that stuff right or they wouldn't be playing at the division one level. And so for high school coaches as you go through this process with smaller and smaller groups i think it's only going to make your teams better because you're able to spend time building up each individual making each individual player better i love a couple of comments that you made in there and the first one was being comfortable with what you're comfortable with learning how to coach learning how to teach the the, the details um, I'm a player, I'm a person who never would have made it to the levels I did as a player without the details. Uh, and, and then the fact that you talked about how the footwork is so very important. Um, in, in everything that I've ever looked at or seen as a player, as a sh coach for a short time or as a broadcaster, I think one of the things that separates many players going from the good to great category, dependent on their athletic ability, is the footwork. And when, when you talk about that, I guess the question I'm leading into would be when you're out evaluating a player and you're looking at the little intricate details of their game or their approach, what are the non-negotiables to you? Is it, is it footwork? Is it shooting form? Is it understanding of the game for you looking at, hey, he knows how to set a screen and the angle. Is he know how to seal as a big? What is it for you when you're evaluating? Um, well, the, the first thing you're looking for is, is great habits and great discipline. And so, um, and that shows itself in, in patterns and continually doing the right thing. And so, um, you know, I, one of our really, really big things is playing off of a base. Um, you know, if you're a freshman in high school and you're listening to this and you're like my high school coach, 
keeps making me do, keeps talking about jump stops all the time. I mean, you, you play in the NBA, you're, you can tell them that NBA coaches are preaching and teaching and loving the jump stop. So, you know, one of the things I often tell my guys is, is if you're getting bored with doing this, that's a big problem because you're getting bored with something that's going to bring success, success to you individually as a player, and most importantly, to success to us as a team. And so um, I want to see guys who do things with discipline and you can see that the habit is there because if, if you're watching high school players, for instance, and, and you can see that, that they form these good habits and good disciplines, well, well, that's going to transfer over to maybe what other things that you're teaching at a higher level. And, uh, and so I think as the, as the game, as you get higher and higher and, and I coach some great players at the division three level, which I think is a way uh, overlooked and not understood uh, level of great basketball. Now to uh, my 10th year at the division one level uh, is just the need to be good with that first step. And so um, anything that, that, that keeps you uh, and helps you become quicker uh, and puts the defensive player on their heels or in a state of reaction. I think these are things that, that players up and coming regardless of your your height or size you know resist being pigeonholed and and, and try to develop a multiple skill set game um, but working on starting and stopping the drive and developing quickness talk about the evolution of your recruiting philosophy and your evaluation because you were at Whitworth as you mentioned a division three program in Spokane for 10 years eight of those years you were 20 plus wins went to the NCAA tournament a number of times you were very good but when you're out as a college coach evaluating and then recruiting you have to understand that hey you know what I like that kid but he's probably going to be a division one and you have to kind of navigate those waters once you get to division one is, is you probably know this better than I do so many players and parents are d1 or bust d1 or bust how once you got to division one did you really or maybe it was while you were at, at Whitworth. How did you start differentiating the difference between the two players? Because many times what I've seen, there's a fine line. Sometimes it's one or two small skills. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, a lot of uh, mis-evaluation happens at the college level. And, um, you know, I have a saying with my assistants, and they'll say, oh, I, I love this guy. Look how athletic he is or something like that. And then I'll go watch him play, and I'll say, hey, I'm not trying to win warm-ups. I'm trying to win the game. Um, and so, obviously, uh, the degree of athleticism as you, as you move up the ladder in, in college basketball and then on to professional basketball, athleticism is essential. But, but great habits, great skills, discipline, um, a love and a love for a knowledge of the game surpasses uh, uh, athleticism frequently. Now, you know, the greats are the ones who combine those two together. You know, when you have somebody that is just gifted with unbelievable quickness or explosiveness or jumping ability or hand-eye coordination. And then you put that together with, with just a great heart and mind and hunger to be the very best you could be. Th those are the ones that go forever. So. We had a lot of success, um, uh, you know, at, at Whitworth with just unbelievable great guys. And at the Division three level, you know, your, your recruiting guys are going to get high academic scholarships. 
because it's like it's an Ivy League model. It's based on uh, your grades or financial need. And so we had a lot of really, really smart guys who were really, really high character guys who maybe didn't have some of that athleticism, but they had that love and, and a real commitment to being the best they can be. So then you get to division one level and you maybe want to skip because skip on some things. Cause, Oh, look at that athleticism or, or, you know, look at that one play that made the whole gym ooh and ah because it was a dunk, but but then, you know, you get some of those guys and, and you realize that it's fool's goal, that, that those guys aren't going to win you games. The guys that are going to win you games are the guys who absolutely love being a great teammate, absolutely love uh, commitment to being their best, the guys that you can't keep out of the gym. And so then you end up getting a guy, um, you know, you, you broadcasted games with him, but a guy like Tyler Harvey, who was going to go play for me at Whitworth, walked on at Eastern you know, and then ends up leading to the NCAA Division One in scoring and is still doing well in his professional career playing in Australia. It wasn't that Tyler was was quicker, better, though he has great hand-eye coordination, but you couldn't keep out of him out of the gym. He wanted to be the best that he could be. He wanted to out-prepare everybody else. And then you get a guy like that in the program, and then other guys realize, hey, that's the path to success. I need to be more like that. And it's it's a reverse peer pressure. And so at Eastern, maybe early when I made that switch from Division Three to Division One, I over-addressed maybe looking for some athleticism and, and, and those kinds of things. And then as we got success and got to the NCAA tournament and won 26 games with, with Tyler in his last year, um, it really changed it back to me for, hey, let, let's go get these guys that are the absolute great person uh, and committed to being the best teammate um, and then those skills develop with it. And so, um, you know, I, I love that question because, and I know it's a longer answer, but, but it's, it's where you find it. And when I look back at my mentors, you know, one of the greatest overachieving teams to play in an NCAA final game was, was the Utah game, uh, team that Rick Majerus coached. And it was a lot of guys that, that you know at the time pac 12 schools over over they, they passed over them but coach took them and they were smart and they were committed and well disciplined and, and loved hard coaching and that's how they got to be in the in a final four it, you mentioned it was a long answer but it was so insightful because there's there there is such a difference but at the end of the day it comes back in my mind to the same things. Do you love the game? Are you willing to, to, to make the extra sacrifices to improve? But to really have success at any level, regardless of the level, you've got to have good athleticism for that particular level. And you did mention Tyler Harvey. I did not know that you had him prepared to go to Division Three Whitworth with you before you got the job. I loved watching him play. And I think one of the reasons I did is because me as a former player, I gravitate towards someone who can shoot it and make decisions with the ball in the hand, similar to what I feel I could do. So I gravitate towards that. When you build or when you've built out your coaching philosophy, is that the kind of player that you tend to gravitate towards to, someone who can shoot it and make plays? Because when I look at your style, you want to play an open style, shoot a lot of threes, space to floor and pick and rolls. What do you, what, what are the main attributes you look for within the style that you then want to play? Great question, Dan. So 
earlier in my career, and if I can help coaches who are listening, uh, the only way I can really help you is telling you about my mistakes. And a wise person learns from others' mistakes. But earlier in my career, I spent more time uh, trying to really control what was happening offensively and, and dictate the shot that we were going to get. And, and, and then where we really started to find success is, is, was embedded in your question. And your question was, what, what if the coach was making less of the decisions and the players, recruiting players and developing players who could make more of the decisions? And, uh, and that might be something that may be a little easier to do at the Division One level than the high school level. But, but out of that, what we did is we opened things up and started taking more advantage of the three-point line and attacking the rim and and out of that you know I'll, I'll give you just some of our sayings is, is you know the shot is what opens up the drive the drive is what opens up the shot the fear of the shot is what opens up the drive or the fear of the drive is what opens up the shot and so the more that you can develop and put the ball in the hands of players that can do all of those things so you know I have been around long enough that I watched uh, Dan play uh, when he had all that floppy hair uh, back in college at Gonzaga um, which I've always, uh, uh, you know, appreciated those days because God didn't bless me with, with a good head of hair. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you didn't know if, if you were going to come off that ball screen and penetrate to the rim, uh, if you're going to punish it and, and shoot behind the arc, or if it was an assist to another player. Now, talk about being hard to guard. If you're guarding someone who's going to do all three of those things, as opposed to the player that the coach has already dictated what they're going to do in that, that next part. But you, you tell me which one's harder to guard. You know, it's the guy that you're worried who might do anything. And so, and again, that's one of the things I would really emphasize. You know, if you're a ninth grader, 10th grader, and, and you've got some height, um, you know, keep developing all the different skills uh, so that you are hard to guard and you're able to, to play all, all parts of the game. Developing all parts of the game, I think, is one of the things that's missing, unfortunately, with, with I don't want to say high school coaches, but a lot of times youth coaches. You see somebody who's tall, you develop them one way. You see somebody who's small and quick, you develop another way. You mentioned Coach Majerus's teams at Utah kind of took undervalued guys, molded them together, improved them, got to a Final Four. I would imagine he is one of your coaching mentors can you expand on maybe his influence on you as well as any other coaching mentors that you have? Yeah. Um, you know, what coach was, was great with um, was just an eye for perfection, which probably was really, really hard if you were one of his players, but, but his level of, um, of, you know, let me put the phrase this way. Once you're like, okay, that'll do. Now you're you're drawing a line at, at where you de, where you determine that'll do. And what Coach Majerus helped me see the game through is he put the line of what what'll do and what won't be acceptable at such a high level, um, and was able to break the game down uh, to such small level, uh, you know, into detail levels of detail. Um, that it really, it really made me study the game more because I got, fortunately he just liked me because I think, you know, fortunately I wasn't quite as heavy, but he's like, hey, here's a bald young, uh, young, young coach that, that maybe is gonna look like me. And, and he took me under his wing and he loved me. 
uh, and guided me, but um, it, it made me go from understanding the game at maybe a surface level to like, like really getting into it. So it was the difference between like basketball and you're taking pre-algebra versus deciding, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go up through trigonometry and calculus and understand the game even at that level. But it takes, you know, exposing yourself to someone else who does know it at those kinds of levels. Uh, and I was fortunate enough for him to give me that kind of time. And, uh, and to, he, I, I mean, I spent maybe a dozen straight years uh, where he just, I was invited there. Any practice I could get to Salt Lake City to be with him at. And, uh, and so it really made a great difference. And, and since we're talking about mentors, then what was really interesting to me uh, that happened just out of the blue is uh, six years ago, Eastern was playing in uh, Southern Methodist and Larry Brown, we were playing against the Larry Brown team. So you're talking about the only guy to win an NCAA championship and an NBA championship. And we got done with the game and we were disappointed. We, we played them tough, made a run at the end, but it was on their home court. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I thought, ah, oh, this is a game we can win. And, and I think my players and I were the only people around who thought we could or should have won the game. And though two days later, Little Eastern Washington won it in, at Indiana and beat the Hoosiers. So, so the, the thoughts weren't too far off, but he stopped me in the handshake line and then he came and found me in the locker room afterwards and said I love how your team plays I want to come I want to learn more from you and then he flew me to Dallas uh to spend days with him just talking about basketball and of course I, he's still alive <laughs> not like Coach Majerus but but then I got to learn even more uh about the game from Coach Brown and he loved the game enough uh to listen to me so if you're a high school coach one of the things I would say is really go seek out a mentor, go seek out some people that uh, know the game maybe a little bit better than you or a little bit further down the road because uh, it just opens your eyes and, and you fall in love with the game more and more. I love how you connected with Coach Brown and he as a Hall of Famer is still itching to learn. I, I think that is the greatest sign of somebody who truly loves the game, whether you're a player or a coach, is you might have – a thousand answers, but you're looking for the thousand and one answer that might give you an advantage to, to be a better player or to, to win a game as a coach. But you also then mentioned Coach Majerus and the time you spent. And anybody that follows college basketball knows that he loved to eat. And I, I'm not saying this in a negative way, in any way, shape, or form. Paul Biancardi is going to join me hopefully next week to record a podcast episode. I know he worked with Coach Majerus for a few years. Was there a particular meal with Coach Majerus that uh, you sit back now and be like, hey, we were at this restaurant and the food was amazing, the wine was good, but all he wanted to talk about was how we didn't front the post or we didn't have the right angle on a seal on a post up. Uh, well, Paul had some great stories too. Um, uh, we had played him, our Whitworth team, and, and lost a close game. And, uh, and I was, we were just grateful that he gave us the game. It was our big fundraiser of the year. And, uh, and he's like, Hey, let's in the handshake line. Hey, I got to do these media interviews. Let's go to dinner. And, and we get in his car and he goes, Hey, you ought to really be happy with that. You guys played us close. <laughs> and, uh, and so we go down to dinner and, and he didn't drink wine. He liked malts. And, uh, and so he ordered all this food 
And then uh, the waitress said, what would you like? And uh, I said, oh, I'll, I'll just share with him. That's enough. And he stopped me. He goes, no, no, that's for me. Order your own food. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that was, that was a great story. And then another time I brought one of my best friends who's not a basketball player to dinner with us. And, uh, and he laughed because he said, I think coach ordered every deep fried food that was on the, on the uh, menu that night. And so definitely uh, wasn't the healthiest menu choices. But if, if you enjoyed a meal with them, Pretty soon the salt and pepper shakers were, were going to turn into X's and O's. And, and uh, he even wrote a book called My Life on a Napkin because he loved to eat. And then he, the other would, would bring him to conversations about what he loved, which was basketball. And he'd start drawing up plays and, and writing basketball. So if you are a basketball aficionado, you probably can still go find that on Amazon or somewhere. But his, his book was called My Life on a Napkin. Some of the best players and coaches find ways to improve in some of the most interesting circumstances and, and for, for coaches like yourself, maybe it's sitting in a booth late at night over a meal with salt and pepper shakers for another player. It might be during the COVID pandemic, trying to find ways to improve. For you as a coach, when the season was shut down and you didn't have a chance to play in the WAC tournament and earn a chance to get to the NCAA tournament and all the uncertainty over the last however many months, now there's a little bit of clarity, but there's still not a set schedule for teams. How have you improved as a coach? Um, the, the way I've improved the most, I, I have a great coaching staff. Um, Chris Victor, I have two associate head coaches and then Sam Kirby, our assistant coach. Um, but, uh, you know, Coach Victor, before he was 30 years old, he led a team to a junior college state championship game. And then Coach Pribble was with me at Eastern and is now again with me at Seattle, built a, a team from last place to his last two years at St. Martin's at the Division II level into a top 10 team. And so, you know, with, with all the challenges of getting together and seeing other people, it, it's, it's made us spend more time. And, and uh, you know, I just marvel at the guys who work on my staff, uh, supposedly under me, and how much basketball I, I learned from them uh and and they're just both really amazing coaches um and so that that's really where i've spent a, a lot of time and we did a lot of analysis uh, you know on what where we could have been better last year and and what we could have done different and that led us to great teaching and so um we've taken advantage of the time and uh, the difficulty in, in getting together with others uh, to really analyze better amongst ourselves. With the pandemic and the season being shortcutted last year and, and trying to figure out this upcoming season, uh, every college program seems to be in transition. You had a really good perimeter player uh, uh, the last couple of years in Terrell Brown, who was uh, from the Seattle area, he had a couple really good years under you. He decided to grant transfer to Arizona. So you've got a nice, uh, unfortunately for you, you've got a nice big hole to fill. What does the, what does the upcoming season look like for Seattle U? Um, because when I've seen you guys over the years, um, from your first year at, at Seattle U, when I think I covered you at, at, at a Washington State game, you've got, you guys have made steps each year. Uh, what does the next step look like for Seattle U? Um, 
Well, I, I love talking about Seattle basketball. So uh, this will be our fourth year as a staff. Our first year we came, we added, uh, you know, just the nature where college basketball is right now. Can, can you get better quick with transfers? And so um, our first year we really uh, benefited from the grad transfer rule. We brought in three starters. We played six deep. We had no injuries. And Seattle U had their first 20-win Division I season since the 1950s. So it was a, it was a great first start. Then uh, the next year, we were able to get a couple Pac-12 wins and beating Cal on the road in Washington State here in Seattle um, before injuries really decimated us. But we still had an 18-win season. And out of that, Terrell emerged um, from Garfield High School. You, you know, we were talking about guys who just love the game and you can't keep them out of the gym and keep working. And, and Terrell just said, hey, just give me a chance. You know, his whole saying is, is bet on yourself and double down. And, and Terrell came as a walk-on. It took him about 10 weeks till we gave him a scholarship. Uh, and then uh, the, he, he scored 1,000 points in two years. That, that's something very difficult to do. And so with that, he excelled in the classroom, got his degree. And, and uh, you know, when Sean Miller called me and said, hey, we want Terrell, I knew, I knew that was the last day I was going to coach Terrell. But with that, around him developed some really good players. Uh, and then we've, we've brought in a really neat class. Uh, we took three guys off of uh, the top junior college team, probably in the country at San Francisco City College. It was 30-0. and 0. We were able to get three of their starters because – Again, we didn't want to get too young. We've got three great freshmen who came in and three impact uh, transfer players. And so who knows what the season will look like, but, but we feel like we have a team that can really compete uh, every night in at, at the WAC. And, you know, the key at the mid-major level is can you have your team confident, believing them in themselves, which means you're going to have to have some success during the non-conference season and the regular season. But can you do all that so that you can be really, really good for three days at your conference tournament? Because that's the ticket to the big dance is really how we're going to do that. And I think that that we, uh, despite losing the seniors and Terrell, uh, put together a team that can compete for a WAC championship this year. So we talked a little bit about your evaluation uh, and your development of players at Whitworth. You go to Eastern Washington as your first chance at an NCAA Division I head coach. You've got tremendous success, leading scorer in the country with Tyler Harvey. Uh, you make the NCAA tournament. You're now heading into your fourth year at Seattle University. Seattle U is, a, in my opinion, is a little bit different of a situation in Eastern in the fact that you're in a metropolitan area that is maybe – one of the best, if not the best, city basketball league in the country, in the Metro League in Seattle. And you guys at Seattle U, from what I know, have high academic standards, so it's a difficult school to get into. But you also have to – you've got to balance understanding kids can get into school with their grades and their, and their test scores. Guys want to play and stay at home in front of friends and family. They're good enough to play. But you also don't want that mix where there's too much pressure where they can't perform when they get on that on that stage. How difficult is that, and does that affect your evaluation and your recruiting process for kids? And I know you can't talk individual players, but big picture wise. Yeah, uh, 
Well, Seattle is an amazing basketball city. Just look, look how many NBA players came from Seattle, you know, right there. And, uh, so, you know, our, the leader of our team this year uh, is out of Seattle Prep High School. It'll be a four-year player, Aaron Nettles, just an unbelievable person. And, uh, and then Terrell, who played in Seattle. And so it takes, a, uh, it takes a special person and player to play college and high school in their hometown. Um, you know, because I did spend all that time in Spokane. You think of Mark Axton. Well, actually, he came from the west side. Uh, but, uh, well, Sean Mallon did it at Gonzaga. Uh, but there's not that many people. And then the Huskies have had some of those guys. But you're going to have hard times as you develop as a Division One basketball player, specifically at the mid-major level. Because if you were really, really good, you'd, you'd be, you know, at a higher level than than where Seattle U is on the basketball chain. So you're, you're coming to a place like Seattle U saying, hey, I believe, and my coaches believe in where I'm going to develop into what kind of a player. But sometimes that's really hard to do when you're right there in front of your hometown fans uh, and the pressure and all the voices. And, and it takes a special person to be playing for the voice of his coach, his teammates, and the voice in his own head, and maybe not the other voices that are in the stands. And so, uh, we love to get Seattle players. We've had Seattle players every year on the team, but it's got to be somebody that number one can meet all the academic requirements of Seattle U. And then number two, really have just a great head on their shoulders so that they don't um, succumb to the, the pressures of, of uh, just the voices in the neighborhood per se. And so, um, so I think you'll always see Seattle guys on our team, but I don't think, that for the people who just love Seattle basketball, we'll ever have enough of those guys for them. But there's there's a reason there's a reason why as well, you know. And then the Northwest is great basketball. I mean, we have two kids from Jesuit High School on our team, which is an amazing high school program. Um, and so we recruit out of the Portland area. Uh, I've got tabs on you know everything that's going on in the eastern side of the state, and because I've coached in the state for over 20 years. I've had amazing success with guys from the little towns in the state, you know, the Brewsters and in towns like that. So, um, you know, the, the one thing I would say if you're listening to this is if, if you're good enough, you're going to get seen and concentrate on what you have control over, which is first and foremost, your academics. And then second, how much you love the game and are you willing to get better every day? And there's five division one schools in the state. And, uh, we all would love to get the best players in the Northwest to stay right here in the Northwest. And so we're paying attention. And, and again, this platform that you guys have developed at Scoreboard Live is a, is a great way to make it happen for us. It's a lot easier, that's for sure. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. I loved getting together and, and getting to know you when you were at Whitworth. I know we had a round or two of golf back then. Uh, watching your success at Eastern, and I'm pulling for you at Seattle U because uh, quite frankly, I think that is a, a tremendous opportunity at that school. Uh, hopefully our paths cross this year with the with my college broadcast work, which means there's college basketball going this year, which we're obviously trending in the right direction. So thank you for joining. We wish you nothing but the best. Uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, Dan. Real privilege and glad to do it anytime.
The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.